Hello and welcome to the Wellness Trinity Podcast, where we interview top holistic experts and bring you natural solutions for modern day wellness. Let's get started with your host, Dr. Jacqueline. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline from thewellnesstrinity.com, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Today, we are going to discuss how your digestion affects your immune system. Just a little disclaimer before we get started. What we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with the information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. This episode was sponsored by Cellcore Biosciences. Creating supplements that work is what they do and restoring hope and health is who they are. So there's so many things I could talk about Cellcore all day long. They're saving lives and that's what I love about this company. Um, but MitoATP is one I wanted to highlight today. MitoATP is a supplement that helps you to build more mitochondria. And mitochondria are your energy powerhouses. So we need energy to detox. We need mitochondria even to sleep and do all kinds of bodily functions, including detox. So if you're low on energy and you're trying to also do a detox program, I highly recommend MitoATP. And if you're a practitioner, you can get a wholesale account at CellCoreBiosciences.com. And for the general public, if you would like to learn about the CellCore Detox Protocol and any of the supplements, please visit thewellnesstrinity.com slash detox. So I met Andrea Dahlman, who we are going to be interviewing today. And um, I met her last year, actually, at a, the Great Plains seminar. And it's been a joy getting to know her. She's a digestion expert and a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, certified restorative wellness practitioner, and certified bio-individual nutrition practitioner. I have been trained, I mean, she has been trained to do functional ev evaluations, nutritional assessments, review and assess lab work for nutritional balancing in order to make nutritional recommendations to balance body chemistry and achieve optimal wellness. Her practice focuses on rebalancing and restoring the digestive health from top to bottom. She uses a three-prong approach and used for the best of uh, the success for long-term health balancing mind, body, and your gut microbiome. While having her eye on digestion, she takes a full body approach to ensure that all supportive systems are working alongside your digestive system. This type of approach ensures her clients move along lasting success and addresses root causes. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me today. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk. Yeah, you know, ever since I met you, I knew there was something special about you and that we we would click and maybe, um, you know, just cross paths later on in your life. It took about a year, it seems like, but um, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we did really because I love your spirit and I know that you're a wealth Thank of you. knowledge and you're really, you're really helping people out there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's always fun to go to conferences and meet different practitioners and, and from all over the world. And it was neat to have an opportunity to meet up with you and we both were learning about the, the services that that particular lab offered and kind of better our practices. So it's, it's neat and thank you for having me, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, so, okay, Andrea, how did you get into this field in the first place? 
Well, the story goes back to my family's health. As most of us who enter into this field, we all kind of end up because somebody needed something in our family, a lot of us, either for ourselves and for me, it was my husband's health. And as a result of him uh, suffering long time with um, migraines and uh, some sinus issues, I actually uh, was at, at that time, I was a stay at home mom with my kids. And I, I was like, we're doing something that's not right. And it uh, sent me back to school. And um, as a result of going back to school and uh, learning the things that I learned um, and balancing his body with nutrition, he never ended up having uh, another sinus surgery. His migraine subsided. And so it was, he actually said, he goes, well, why don't you do this? Because people keep asking you questions. And it kind of just evolved over the years. I've been doing this for a while now. And um, once I started running lab work and really looking at um, stool and uh, digestive markers in the stool, then I was like, I'm hooked. I love everything about the digestion. So it was like this beautiful evolution of just one thing led to another thing, led to another thing. And now um, reading stool panels is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> it's my favorite pastime. <laughs> You know, it's funny because when we step into this field, I mean, we're just, I, I guess we, some of us probably don't even realize how much we're going to talk about poop. <laughs> right? Well, that's become such a topic in my house. Like my kids have, you know, they'll have friends over and they'll say, well, obviously not right now in the season we're in, but before they'd be like, mom, please don't ask my friends about their poop. Just don't ask. I don't want you to embarrass me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I won't ask your friends. <laughs> Well, healthy poop is a healthy digestive system, right? Yes. No, that's how I feel. I'm like, just don't flush. Let me take a look. No. <laughs> we don't even need to do a stool panel if you're at no, the just house. Let, just let me, let me look in there. <laughs> that's hilarious. So why is the digestion so important? Oh, it's so important. Um, it's really foundational. It's interesting. Like when I started working with clients in the very beginning, I would get these people with these beautiful food journals. Like they would be so balanced and everyone, they would say to me, Oh, Andrea, I feel like I'm eating all the right foods. I'm doing all the right things. And no one had stopped to say, well, what is the system that you're actually putting it into? Is it working the way it's supposed to? So you can have the best diet in the world, but if your body and your digestive system don't have the right digestive juices don't have all the pieces that go together with that you're not going to get the most out of your nutrition so it it's not we when you hear the saying you are what you eat that is 50 percent true it's also you are what you digest so mm -hmm. we really want to have a good healthy whole food diet that's nutritionally valid for that person but we also want to make sure that all those systems are working properly um, our gut is an important barrier between our inside world and our outside world, or outside world and our inside world. And we want to make sure that the integrity of um, our digestive system is such that it's protecting us. It's our first line of defense against anything dangerous. And, you know, the five second rule, you've heard that. So you drop something on the floor and you pick it up and you eat it. The reason you get to do that and not get terribly sick is because you have all of these little helpers inside of you killing off those microbes and killing off the things that are potentially harmful to you. Um, so that's a couple of little reasons why your digestive system are important. There are more. Uh, our, we have bacteria that lives, I like to call it your garden, that live in your um, gut and your colon. You actually have bacteria all over your body, but they're the, most of the population is in the small intestine, the large intestine, and those microbes they really help us um, 
They're like this internal ecosystem and they benefit us through absorbing nutrients and keeping us healthy and regulating our appetites and our body weight. They all have different jobs that they do. When they're best in balance is when we feel our healthiest. And the kind of the big thing for me is making sure that that system is super optimal, healthy, because your immune system, and we all know important how important our immune system is right now, is 70 to 80% of our immune system is housed in our, in our gut. So if our digestive system is healthy, we actually have a, a more opportunity to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've been telling people the same thing too about most of your immune system is, is there. So if that is off, I mean, everything else is thrown off as well. So when you do stool tests, first of all, which lab are you using, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I use um, the GI map, which is the Diagnostic Solutions, I believe. is the, I order it through uh, my head lab is Avexia. Um, but I use the GI map. I used to use uh, a parasitology three-day doctor's data test, which I like for some of, it has markers in it that if, and it depends on what the client needs. The GI map is probably my favorite because of the way that they actually look at the stool. When they look at it, they're not um, culturing, they're looking at it under a microscope. So they're actually looking for specific things under the microscope, which is, um, I feel more accurate, a more accurate way to determine what's actually there and what isn't. Okay. Yeah, that's what I hear about stool tests is that sometimes they're not very accurate. Like a lot of people have more parasites than what really shows up. Have you heard that as well too? Yeah. So the thing about um, running stool tests, especially if you're trying to determine for parasites or even yeast, for example, um, it depends on what you're testing for. You actually need to do a little bit of prep work prior to taking the stool test. So one of the products I'll use is a biofilm buster about five to seven days prior to a stool testing. And that helps break up the biofilms, which biofilm for people who don't know is basically your bacteria want the bad, the bad guys, or I call them the weeds or the pests, um, they want to survive. And so they have these protective measures and they put this like coating over themselves so that you can't see them. And they have different times where they'll come out of that um, like shell and be more present. But if you use a biofilm buster, you can start breaking those biofilms up and that shell or that coating will get broken up and then they're more exposed. Then if you do a stool test, you have more opportunity to capture what's really happening at the stool level. Mm, Okay. So what's in the biofilm buster? It's a variety of herbal components that help um, break up that. I'd have to look at the exact, I don't have that memorized. Oh, no, it's okay. (laughs) I just, I've used enzymes for bio, um, to, to break down biofilms. Um, but I know there's all kinds of herbs as well too. So I wasn't sure if there's more on one end or the the other in terms of herbs or enzymes. Yeah. The, the product, uh, that I really like is called interface plus by Claire labs. Mm, Okay. That's the one that I've used the most. I think it's Claire labs. No, I'm not. Re- no, I'm questioning whether that's right. <laughs> but it's Interface Plus. That's for sure. That's the um, that is the name of the one that I use. But it it works very well in tr- in kind of like really seeing if someone has more, um, you know, dysbiotic bacteria or or opportunistic. The okay. thing about fungus or yeast, um, it's harder to capture those in a stool panel. Um, I find that 
the organic acids test, which is the test that you and I met over, um, is a better one to actually see if we have any sort of yeast or fungal overgrowth mold. You can get, you capture that better through the organic acids test. Yeah, yeah. And well, and then also that mycotoxin test was incredible too. Yes. Yeah, I really like that one too. That's very telling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a more advanced test. So like if people who haven't heard of that and feel like, oh my gosh, what's that? You know, that's like, you, when you come in and work with a, you know, a wellness practitioner, you want to start with your basic stuff and then that stuff that you graduate up to if you need to. And yeah, that's well said. Yeah, perfect. Because um, it can get overwhelming in terms of how much it costs to take all these tests. Uh, right. they're, they're not cheap. Right. And there is a lot of information to be had in the standard blood lab, like just the regular blood labs that your doctor gives you, your CBC and your metabolic panel. You can tell a lot um, based on how your immune system is doing, you know, in the conversation between your basophils, eosinophils, um, neutrophils, you can kind of get a sense of like, are we dealing with like a mercury toxicity here? Or is this like a food sensitivity? Or are we dealing with like, yeah, actually, we've got some sort of um, overgrowth in dysbiotic flora. So you can, mm -hmm. there's little hints in that, in that lab work that you're a good practitioner who knows how to read that will be able to steer you to the right test if you need to go down that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point to say. So we talked about how the digestive system is set up. Um, do you want to expand a little bit more? I mean, it's like one big food tube, right? From your mouth <laughs> yeah. to your... <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, a, a whole, it's like a hole from one end to the other, really. And Let's give a little bit of physiology with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's important for us to understand how the digestive system works. I think one of the things that is so beautiful is that every single person, regardless of what, where you come from, what you think, what you don't like, what you like, it doesn't matter, you have this system. And so the better you understand the digestive system, the better your life potentially could be in terms of your health. So in thinking about digestion, it really starts in the brain. A lot of people say it starts in the mouth, but it starts in the brain because we see our food and when we see our food and smell our food, it sends messages up to our brain and then it tells our brain, start making saliva. So that's salivary, amylase and salivary lipase, which are enzymes that are in your saliva, start that digestion um, cascade. And I like to think of digestion like a line of dominoes. So the, the chewing and the mixing of those enzymes in the mouth, that's really where it's um, the second place where it is really important, that second domino of, of experiencing your digestion. Then when you swallow, travels down your esophagus, down there's a, like a little valve at the bottom called your lower esophageal valve, and it drops into your stomach. And that's when we first get it in, comes in contact with hydrochloric acid and pepsin. And hydrochloric acid um, kind of bathes and cleans the, the material or whatever food you've eaten, and the pepsin helps break down the protein. So you start breaking down your, your um, carbohydrates and your fats in your mouth with chewing, and then at the secondary place that it, your proteins actually get started in your stomach. After everything's kind of, I call it a blender, it kind of gets blended up in there in your stomach and it goes through this process. There's a valve at the bottom of your stomach called the pyloric sphincter and it opens up, but it has to be really acidic in your stomach, which is really important. If it's not a pH of like 3.2-ish, then that pyloric sphincter will stay closed. We could talk about what that means and how that affects things, but the pyloric sphincter opens and then the, your food, or what's now called chyme, goes into the first part of your small intestine. 
And that's the duodenum or duodenum, depending on who taught you. <laughs> and in, the, in that area, the pancreatic enzyme or pancre the pancreas sends over pancreatic enzymes in something called sodium bicarbonate, and it makes it neutral because we went from a really uh, safe acidic environment to now this tissue that can't handle acidity. So that sodium bicarbonate neutralizes it. And then bile gets sent from the liver to the gallbladder, gallbladder down through this bile duct, and then that helps start to break up our fats. So think of like if food arrives in the duodenum, of like grease in a in a so in a, um, a kitchen sink, and you put the dish soap in, and you see the droplets happen. That's what bile is essentially doing. It's like breaking it up into really small particles. You also have a little bit more digestion that happens in the duodenum with the um, carbohydrates, and then it gets sent into the small intestine. Small intestine is this long, beautiful tube, and it has these finger-like protrusions called villi, and the villi. Um, participate in something called parasolysis where it like squeezes and releases and squeezes and releases and that's um, where your body is taking on that nutrient on those nutrients that are in that food if they're at the right size it's mm. very important so if there's anything that's going to hiccup up up top we have we become compromised but those villi then do this action there's i could talk about the villi the villi are amazing um and then it passes through a valve at the very bottom between your small intestine and your colon called the ileocecal valve it opens up and pushes the waste into the ascending colon now your ascending colon you would think your colon what's the big deal but it has this like whole recycling center so it recycles um, bile bile is very expensive for the body to make it doesn't waste any so if there's any extra it goes back up to the liver to get recycled mm -hmm. recycle any water extra water gets sent back into the body and um, B vitamins are made there and vitamin K. So it's a really important, your ascending colon, a lot of action happens there. But what's left? Waste. So it transfers colon, which is kind of over the top, and then back down. It's all forming into stool now, and it gets held in the sigmoid colon until you get ready for elimination. That's essentially how everything should work. Now, there's lots of little dominoes that get pulled out. Like if someone is taking um, a PPI, and they don't, and they shut down their acid production. The food sits in the stomach, and that pyloric sphincter doesn't open at the bottom of the stomach. And what happens to food that sits, and it's not getting digested? It ferments, mm -hmm. and that's when people start to experience that belching. And then eventually, more food comes in. A pyloric sphincter is forced open, but nothing's at the right size. Then it puts stress on the rest, puts stress on the villi put mm -hmm. stress in the colon so there's all these little different in, um, places where things can kind of get a hiccup and go wrong so it, that's why understanding how your digestive system works so that you can be in the best position to maximize that mm -hmm. when you're eating now the biggest and i i can't believe i missed this this is so huge when stress is on digestion is off mm -hmm. you can't make any of those digestive juices out the enzymes won't show up in your saliva like if stress is on digestion is off they do not they cannot coexist mm -hmm. so if you're eating and having a conversation about coronavirus and getting all upset about it and talking with somebody about it and trying to eat and your stress level is high your digestion is off it, mm -hmm. they live in two different there's the the nervous system the autonomic nervous system
mm-hmm. who branches the sympathetic and parasympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because obviously we're going through a very stressful time right now for, for many people. Some people are obviously not as affected as others, but those that are affected, I mean, I just, we were talking about this off air and I really mm-hmm. feel for them because yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of, at stake for some people and, um, and, and just trying to find that peace in the midst of it can be hard. Um, but also knowing that if we harbor that stress, we're not going to be able to digest our food and our immune system is going to be compromised as a result. Right. Right. So, you know, and I like to give tips along the way. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh no, that's me. Like I am stressed out or I am like doing things that are making me feel stressed or my life is stressed. When you sit down with your food, like just take a moment, just see your food, breathe, like, if you're someone who prays, pray over your food, like just be grateful for your food, like take just, you know, a minute and just be with your food. Try not to do anything else while you eat. You will increase the level of digestion just by that simple act of taking five or 10 minutes and just eating with your food and like being present with your food. So very important. But if we're stressed, it really does compromise because that you know, where we're talking about like 70 to 80% of our immune system is housed in our, in our gut. If, if we're stressed out and we're eating all of these foods, it's putting stress on those cells and it's, they're not able to do the jobs that they're supposed to do, like produce immune support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you talked about the stomach acid and a lot of times people think that it's that they have too much acid. Yeah. Right. And, and we're here to debunk that a lot of times. And it's the opposite. We don't have enough stomach acid. And, and therefore, that's why we're having these stomach issues. Right. Right. So yeah. I, I hope that people took note of that because, um, you know, taking things that decrease your stomach acid might not be the best idea if you right. want your digestion to work very well. Right. And a lot of times when they you take that and you have that fermentation happening, people will say, well, it doesn't like completely shut it down. It just, it slows it down. So when you do, when that food ferments in your stomach and that lower esophageal valve, it's a two-way valve, right? Cause that's how we are able to throw up if we get sick. So we can, it can go down and it can go up. If there's a fermentation and gas is off gassing, it's going to force that valve up. And then a little bit of that stomach acid is going to show up in our esophagus and our esophagus doesn't have the same type of tissue as our stomach. Our stomach has this like mucosal covering that helps uh, protect it from the stomach acid, but our throat doesn't have that. So, you know, if you took acid and burnt, you know, dropped it on your carpet, it would burn your carpet, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not, the carpet isn't made for that, but in the bottle it can handle it because it's got the right type of, mm-hmm. so it's just yeah, so, important to. Right. So that. we don't want stomach acid in our esophagus. Right. For sure. And yeah. so, um, if someone's burping, if they burp a lot, then they probably don't have enough stomach acid then, huh? That could be, or it could be that, or it could be, um, it could be that they're eating when they're stressed, right? Because if they're, they're not able to make that digestive, those digestive juices, it could be that they're eating foods that they're sensitive to. Mm. Um, if people are really struggling with a lot of like acid reflux, the, a simple, easy kind of test is to cut out the big five. And the big five are citrus, tomatoes, coffee, chocolate, and alcohol. I'm sure some people are not very happy about that. 
<laughs> I'm ready to get down and I'm like chocolate, coffee, alcohol. No. I know some of my clients. <laughs> Everyone's crying. Um, well, and I think what's important to understand there is, is if you really want to know for yourself, just take three days and do this a 72 hour biohack test and say, I'm just, this is, a, this is a test, you know, test it out for yourself. See if things improve by taking those, the big five out. If you see it, it, you know, that acid reflux or heartburn go down as a result of removing that, that's when you ask yourself the question, is it all of the five? Then maybe you like bring just one of them back. You know, if I just bring tomatoes back, like you could bring back another thing. So it's just a little bit of, you know, a way for you to, to, you know, own your, own your health, really. Okay. So you said citrus, coffee, chocolate, alcohol, and tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you take them out for three days and see how you're feeling. And then yeah. that's when you can introduce it again. Yeah. One then by one. Just, just bring them back one by one and say, is, is tomato my trigger? Oh, I did fine with tomatoes. Okay. And it could be that one of them is a trigger, or maybe if it's, you have three or more of them, then that can be your thing. Sometimes okay. it's not none. It's just monitoring how much. Okay. So then, and then the other side of it is that they probably have things in, going on in their gut, right? Like uh, parasites, fungus, candida that are overgrowth and overgrowth right. of those and then lowering the stomach acid, right? Yeah. And oftentimes with people who have chronic um, acid reflux, something that you really want to check for is H. pylori, mm. which is a, a bacteria. And we all have H. pylori, but if it gets overgrown in the stomach, that's where it tends to live. That can create more um, like acid or reflux type feelings. Okay. So what kind of test do you do that shows H. pylori? I run a stool panel, but a, like a conventional okay. doctor might run a blood lab or there's other ways to test for it. There's a several different ways that you can test for it. Okay. That. Yeah. So it's, I don't think it's on the Great Plains stool panel. I don't know if you've ever looked at that one, but I haven't, so just, I haven't used that one. Okay. Yeah. So no. just the GI map is probably mm -hmm. going to be the best one I'm thinking for that. Yeah. That, okay. That's the one I like, but okay. I, I have a preference for it. Just, you know, I've spent too, too much time investing in learning how to read Right. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the, the most important thing is that the practitioner just really understands how to use their tools that they have. I mean, mm -hmm. I sat and spent several years learning this, the, the microscope and learning how to incorporate yeah. that and finding the, the things that I need to find and that and a couple other tools and that now I'm using the labs. And um, so it's not, some tests I think definitely are better than others, but the other side of it is the practitioner really just needs to know what to find. Right. <laughs> well, and I would say that no test and I'm sure you will agree, like no test is like absolute, you know, there's humans running the show behind the test. So we humans are make, make errors. And um, I don't think that you can ever, I would never stand behind the test and say, this is a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. I will say, this is the best tool I have in this season to mm -hmm. take care of what it is that my client is dealing with. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good thing to know as well too, because I think sometimes we, we can look at these tests like they're, that's it. The goal. <laughs> well, this yeah. is everything. And, and then, and then a client might have maybe, it might be the opposite where they don't have anything showing up and they're like, well, I, I don't feel good. There must be a reason. Right. Right. <laughs> and so right. that's where know. sometimes those general labs that are just run by your, you know, regular 
you know, annual actually have a lot of little pearls in there. And if you get a practitioner who's like functionally trained, you know, we know how to look at the whispers and not the shouting, you know, it's the doctor's mm -hmm. job to really come in and they have like their space of, I, I'm going to diagnose you. When I look at lab work, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for all the whispers. I'm looking for mm -hmm. the trend and the way that, that the body is just starting to kind of lean you know, mm -hmm. lean a little bit further out of balance and lean a little bit mm -hmm. further out of balance. And so that you can say, Hey, you know what, if we just kind of bring in this particular food or nutrient, we're actually going to bring you back into more of a balanced place. That's really what it is. It's all about balancing um, the body back to normal. Yeah. And um, I, I know you don't diagnose and I don't diagnose either. Um, we're all about just balancing the body. Right, right. And you don't want to get it to the point where it's so thrown off that it's now, you know, now you're getting diagnosed with some type of disease. Right. Um, really, the body's just extra out of balance at that right. point. Yeah, and if the body has the nutrients it needs, it doesn't need our help to heal. Like if we get a cut on our arm, you keep it clean. That's the best you can do. The body's the one that says, I'm going to take on the cell repair. It's not like you go into your kitchen and be like, I'm going to whip up some arm cells today. <laughs> right. That, right? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And so, um, and, and then the thing is with under getting enough nutrients, um, I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole with this whole situation, but obviously, mm -hmm. again, it goes back to the digestion. Right. Are we getting the right foods um, and are we breaking them down and assimilating them? And then are there things like uh, these pathogens that are, are causing the body not to be able to assimilate the food as well too? Yeah, that, and that's really interesting because uh, I was actually looking at some um, just regular blood chemistries on a client and I could see that her um, stored iron, her ferritin was very, very low. And, I, and then I was looking at her immune system and I was like, you know what? I think that this person actually needs a stool panel because there's actually bacteria that will eat iron for food. And this person had been supplementing for a while and I was like, something's not right here. Like there's something more. And so I'm very excited to kind of do that test to see like, you know, is there a particular bacteria that's using, you know, she's supplementing thinking that her body's going to get it, but there's a little bacteria in her gut going, yay, more food. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. So there, it's really yeah. important to have a good understanding of where your body's out of balance. And for me, like I focus, you know, I'm always looking at the gut, that digestive system for foundational health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foundational health. That's a great way to put that too, because it really is, is the foundation. And then, and then as we keep mentioning diet, I mean, you know, as well, sleep and stress, um, our spiritual health. I mean, there's a few, there's a bunch of things that are just foundation in our health. Right. The supplements are the extra thing that right. those foundation are not going to do. Yeah. And you want to make sure that foundation is set right. Otherwise it's like, uh, I mean, it's good to take the supplements. It's even more necessary if you're not living a good life. Um, right. But at the same time, it goes hand in hand with the other foundation too. Yeah. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you can't supplement yourself out of this. Like <laughs> if you don't create a healing environment, like if your lifestyle doesn't support the healing, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. It's like pedaling with one pedal on a bike. You're not, you're going to move, but you're not going to get very far. Mm -hmm. It's just, you, you definitely do have to create that. Like you have to create mm -hmm. space in your life and you have to create, you know, some changes. Like some people have to give things up and they don't want to do it. Like yeah. going to bed earlier or saying no to something, like creating boundaries for themselves. All of that matters, especially for supporting your immune health and being able to, you know, create space for optimal digestion. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the gut and its connection to the immune system. I know you touched on it a little bit, um, but I, I know you are all about the inflammation and how that relates. So um. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your gut and your immune system, well, they're connected by something called your epithelium, and that's only one cell thick. Um, and on other, like on the inside of your stomach and on the outside, like your immune system, 80% of it lives just on the other side of that. And so when your gut is healthy, your immune system is supported. But if your gut is compromised by bad bacteria or slow motility, um, that will compromise your immune system. Now it's important to understand that our immune system has two parts. You have your innate immune system and that's like your first responders. They don't have, there's no memory and they really respond to more of like acute inflammation. So going back to like, if you cut your arm, that's more in an acute situation where your immune system will come out, take care of the wound and then go away. But it, the other leg of or part of your immune system is called adaptive and your adaptive immune system is really the one that lives more in the gi tract and it has a great memory um this is it will build antibodies against it and we've been hearing a lot about antibodies in the news lately but these antibodies tell the body you know this is safe or this isn't safe um and and we kind of experience this with vaccines we build up these antibodies so that we can withstand whatever illness it is so our body can adapt. Um, It's important uh, to understand the difference between those two, but both use inflammation. The the innate is very quick, so you become inflamed. Like if you cut, you see that red that kind of develops on your arm and then eventually that goes away. You can see that inflammation. But in the acute, um, or sorry, in the adaptive, it can linger, that inflammation can linger. And so we have, we experience that specifically in gut health. We see it more like um, with food sensitivities, for example, with people who have food sensitivities, they'll create this ongoing inflammation as they're continuing to eat the foods that are creating, creating inflammation in the body. Um, just looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're experiencing this ongoing inflammation, like if we're having that experience, then it's because your immune system's on this hyper alert and it relates back to the gut. Like I said, it could be food sensitivities. It could be dysbiosis. So um, imbalance of your gut bacteria or even toxic burden. So um, heavy metals like mercury or lead, a lot of older women, um, this is super interesting. And I just, Dr. Jacqueline, do you know about this, that, that, back in the 50s and the and before the homes had lead pipes and so a lot of the um, children growing up at the time who were drinking tap water were drinking had like really super low levels of lead but the bone stores that lead Mm -hmm. and then as women age and they start to their bones start to break down as we age that that lead then gets put back out into the body Mm -hmm. Mm. super interesting and then what does the body got to it needs to do something with it it'll actually like send it up to the brain and if it doesn't have a good way to get rid of it and create inflammation yeah super interesting for older clients well so okay so it's stored in the bone when you're young and then Mm -hmm. it moves into the bloodstream which then obviously we can get into the brain and all that um do you think it's maybe because it just increases over time and there's just no more room in the bone or like, why do you think this is coming well, out of the bone? As, as we age, our bone density tends to go down as a, as a natural part of aging. 
And so as that bone tissue starts to deteriorate, then that's when, because you've seen older people, right? They, you know, they used to be five, nine and like, this is happening to me. I went to the doctor this year and they were like, you're five, eight. I was like, no, no, I'm five, nine. I've been five, nine my whole life. But this doctor appointment I went, I was a whole inch shorter. I'm like, what? Like, that's so crazy. And wow. then I was convinced that the nurse had done it wrong. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Did she recheck it? <laughs> I, I actually came home and I, I was actually just a little bit over. It was like five, eight and a half. I was like, it wasn't a full inch. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. So she, she jipped you a little. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It must be the thing anyway. Wait, so, uh, so, okay. The, the bones are shrinking, right? And so yeah. it's kind of pushing it out. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then depending on the body's ability to detox, if it's pushing it back out to the blood, it's, it's going to send it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's been storing it in the bone to keep us, keep us safe, right? Because the mm -hmm. body has all of these protective mechanisms. That's the one thing that's so beautiful about the body is that it has all these compensatory mechanisms to keep us safe. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, this doesn't belong here. Well, you know, we'll wrap it up like in a fat cell and we'll just store it in our hip for later. That's mm -hmm. why well, a lot of times when people start losing weight and then they don't feel so awesome when it first starts happening is because all the, your toxins, toxins get stored in our mm -hmm. fat cells. Yeah. And then we start losing weight and then those toxins get released out into the body and we're like, why do I feel terrible when, it, when uh -huh. we start losing weight? Yeah. Losing weight is like, uh, it's just like another form of detox. <laughs> yes. It sounds like you're having a Herxheimer reaction. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. You got to let it out. I, yeah. So now I know when I have clients that are, or when I know people that are not necessarily detoxing with me <laughs> and they're just trying to lose weight and not feeling good, I'll tell them, Hey, you might be having a Herxheimer. You might want to go do an enema. <laughs> yeah. Right. Something just help get that stuff out. Right. Yeah. Take some right. herbs to get your bowels moving. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you, are you a proponent of enemas and uh, we call them wheatgrass implants. Um, this other thing that we learned at Hippocrates. I don't know if you know about those. I have not used that. I have used enemas with clients before. I've used them myself in, in different um, times and seasons. Um, I do think that they can be appropriate for some people. I, it, I would never tell anybody, like anyone who's listening, like, don't just run out and do it. Like, have a reason and understand so that you're not just deciding to do an enema. But they can be very helpful. Coffee enemas, garlic enemas. Very, yeah. All right. How do you do the garlic one? So I had a client a while back and she was having kind of a lot of um, dysbiotic things and, and there was some itching that was going on and we were doing everything from the top down. And I said, I just don't think it's making it all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. I said, let's, I, and I, I said, I have never asked a client to do this, but I'm going to ask you to do a garlic enema. And it's, you start, it's between three and six cloves, but you start off with three, no more than three to start. And you blend it together with um, distilled water in a blender so it's fine. And then you dilute that mixture in an enema bottle with the rest of distilled water. And then you do it just like an enema. So it's blended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you blend the raw garlic cloves. Okay, so you could probably juice it too. You probably could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. If you had a juicer, that would probably work too. Yeah, I guess it has to be the right type of juicer too. Yeah. That really masticates uh, smaller yeah. things. Yeah, you want to get it so it's like fully blended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it worked? So for this lady? Yes. The, what wow. she saw in the toilet, she 
she wasn't really sure. She, I said, now listen, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm making a suggestion because, you know, I hadn't had anybody do it before and she did do it. And then I got a call about three hours later or it was a message email through my client portal. And she's like, you, I can't even believe what came out. And it was something she goes, it was something that was wrapped around her stool. And she called her doctor cause she was really worried. And the doctor said, Oh, that just sounds like sausage casing. It's probably nothing. And she goes, I haven't had sausage. <laughs> I haven't had anything close to sausage. Uh, that's a worm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a functional she, medicine uh, uh, practitioner would say definitely that's a, that's a parasite. <laughs> yeah. So it worked. It worked great. And she actually had her husband do it too. And it, he had it too. And we figured out that um, they were coming in. She had chickens and they were doing, they were taking the eggs. And I don't, I think we figured out that either she wasn't washing the egg or something before cracking it. And potentially that's where the source of it was. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of that before, but I don't know too many people with chickens. So now that's going to be on my radar if I do. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a hypothesis. We weren't like a hundred percent sure, but that was the only thing that we could think of that potentially where she would have act like fecal matter, like close to fecal matter. Like we weren't sure. So yeah. Well, yeah, with these like, worms, I mean, everybody has them and it's just right. like how much, how big, where in your body. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was uh, effective. <laughs> now, how long did you have her suggest that she hold the enema, the garlic enema? You know, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. It wasn't, okay. I think, it, I mean, you, it, cause it's hot, right? Garlic is. Yeah. I mean, coffee so, enemas you hold for like 15 minutes at least. Yeah. But. I don't it was that garlic enema? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a lot. I really, I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. I don't remember the exact amount of time. But. I mean, if someone's e able to just hold it as long as they can, I think they're going to have any, any type of bit of it versus obviously not doing it too, if they need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm going to look into that one a little bit more because that definitely sounds um, very well, interesting. Because we were trying, <laughs> we had done a lot of like stuff from the top down, but we just were not getting. Yeah down into the sigmoid and like into that colon area so yeah it's well, not for everyone don't everyone run yeah, out no yourself. definitely yeah <laughs> that, that one sounds a bit nerve-wracking to yeah. even for myself that does enemas all the time and recommends yeah. everyone to do them but yeah um but I but you know what though like if someone has an issue there I mean then that's uh it's definitely something to think about I mean garlic is very anti-parasitic which is why mm -hmm. she moved a, a worm it's very good for your liver as well so yeah. the, the enemas are not just for your colon. They're also to help with the liver mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So, well, she, the amount of relief that that provided, cause the, I'm always about trying to find the root cause, right? Like that's right. the goal in a, in a functional approach. It's like, how do you get to what's really the, like the underlying root cause, but sometimes there's clients that come in and they just need symptom relief. It's like, I just need for this particular thing to be less so that I can cope with everything that I'm trying to do to address the root cause. Mm -hmm. And to have somebody who was just suffering, I was like, I got to try something. We're going to, we're going to go out on a limb <laughs> for that yeah. one, but it worked. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned dysbiosis and um, can you explain what that is and how people get that? Oh gosh, there's all kinds of, so dysbiosis. So your microbiome, the way I like to describe it is it's a garden. So you have your flowers. Those are the, your normal healthy flora. Then you have what I would call your weeds, which are opportunistic 
flora. And then we have pests, which would be like parasites and worms. And when we're talking about dysbiosis, it's where the flowers, the flower garden portion of your microbiome has become less and the weeds and the pests have taken over. And that can be the, and we call it dysbiosis, which is just basically an imbalance of the micro or the bacteria that's in the, in the gut. Um, and it can happen for a lot of different reasons. It can be a prescription medication that you've taken, antibiotics. It can be due to extreme stress. I've seen people that have never taken any antibiotics, but the stress just kills off all their good bacteria and leaves lots of room for the bad bacteria to grow. Um, it could be because of uh, some of the things that we were talking about, like uh, heavy metals or other um, kind of simmering infections that people are harboring and it's causing that to be out of balance. Uh, one that's kind of less known is um, not enough fiber in your diet mm. because fiber really feeds our beneficial bacteria. Now for women, we want to be getting around 25 grams of fiber a day. And for men between 30 and 35, this that's relative to size. So maybe a larger woman would need a little more and a smaller woman would need a little less. Same men, same. So, um, and a lot of people think that they're eating a lot of fiber. And I tell people track it in a food tracker, because if you're not eating enough fiber, that fiber feeds the short chain fatty acids feeding your um, your good bacteria so you there's like this whole circle of life based on that fiber content and that can really throw throw the body out of balance if you're not getting enough mm -hmm. yeah they're they're um, in other words they're prebiotic yes uh, some exactly. people have heard of prebiotics another yeah. word is fiber <laughs> yeah 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 I'll have clients say, they'll say, oh, do I need to be taking a prebiotic? And I'll say, no, I'd prefer you to be eating vegetables. <laughs> and then if you can't, you can't consume enough vegetables, then we'll add a prebiotic in. I want you to get it from food first if we can, and then we'll, we'll supplement in. But yeah, you know, fiber, it's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for touching on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's some of the reasons we can become dysbiotic. There's lots, there's lots, but those are the big ones. Now, it, when people say they have candida, I mean, everybody has candida, right? Yeah. Um, that's an imbalance of the candida bacteria, right? Or yeast, I mean. Right. So yeah, it's kind of like H. pylori. Like there are certain bad bacteria that we all have a cert that we all have a level of. It's about whether it's kept in check. Like um, we want to have the appropriate amount that, that's not too much. Like Goldilocks, right? Not too little, not too not too much, just right in the amount that we want. So yeast is in that same way. We everybody has a level of candida or yeast um, strains in their body, and it's only when it becomes overgrown that it becomes a problem. And people with a, like a candida overgrowth will experience things like bloating, uh, maybe yeast infections, fungus on their toenail. Um, they might have skin issues. That would be a sign of some candida when that's like a telltale sign that, okay, you're that, that particular strain or microbiome or your bacteria is overgrown. Okay. Now your gut flora affects your neurotransmitters. And um, I'm not sure if everyone listening knows what neurotransmitters are. So can you first explain what that is and, and then how the gut affects those? So your neurotransmitters are how do I describe this? Like messaging that your brain puts out. 
like a horn, it's a hormone essentially that, that your brain says, okay, this is what's happening or this is what's happening. And as it relates to your gut, 80% of your serotonin, which is your feel good hormone is produced in the gut. And we would think, oh, it's a neurotransmitter that we, we think, oh, it should be produced in our brain, but actually more is produced in our, in our gut. But dopamine, epinephrine, those can also be produced. Um, those are also neurotransmitters that can be produced by the brain. Yeah, and if, if people don't, yeah, if people don't have enough of certain ones, I mean, they're not going to be able to sleep. They're going right. to be more anxious. Melatonin, yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it affects, our, it affects every part of our life, but it even affects our emotions. Right now, mm -hmm. a lot of people are um, on the edge, as we've been talking about, with their right. stress. But um, just emotions in general, whether you're happy, sad, stressed, um, angry, I mean, there's chemicals called neurotransmitters that are, affect that, that are related to those. So right. when our gut is all thrown off, then our mm -hmm. neurotransmitters are not made as well. And then we can be extra sensitive in those areas. And then you throw something like the coronavirus on top of that. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're already stressed and then now you're extra stressed. Right. So. Well, and that serotonin that's produced in your gut, like if your gut is out of balance, your feel good hormone is not going to be made at any production level that you would want it to, to, to feel like, okay, I feel okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 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 So I, I would speculate based on this type of information and what, what we know about neurotransmitters that, when people's body chemistry is more imbalanced, then they're, they can handle even bigger stressors like yeah. what we're going through now way totally. more, like just yeah. better in general. Right. And, and yeah. any life stressor, it doesn't matter if it's uh, the fact that we're quarantined and, and this thing is going on and the virus and people losing jobs, um, no matter what situation someone's in, and it's not to under, undermine the stress of it. Uh, yeah, there's certain times that things are really stressful. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the person that is more chemically balanced will just deal with that situation a lot better. That's so true. Very well put. Yes. And I, cause we were built for stress. Like we were built to be able to handle stress and we are supposed to have a bandwidth for it. But when we have all these other things coming in and kind of pinging us, it makes our bandwidth shrink. So the more we can do to take care of our health and expand that bandwidth, the better we have the resilience to deal with it. Yeah, that's mm. absolutely true. So what are some tips that people can do to support their gut health um, and uh, immune system? Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> so the first thing I like to do is say, let's remove the things that we know are stressors, like let's remove them. Um, for example, a big one would be removing gluten from the diet. Uh, that's a pretty good starting place for most people. Now, some people might be sitting here saying, oh, I can handle gluten, but I would say, you know what, maybe just not right now with all the other things we're, we've got going on, just take it out of your diet. Um, gluten, if it, eaten in excess, can it, uh, excite something called zonulin and zonulin increases intestinal permeability and zonulin just for kind of a quick is uh, they're like a gatekeeper in that in your intestinal lining and if they get overexcited they'll leave the gate open too long and then that starts to create issues um, so removing gluten and gluten containing grains is good know what your food sensitivities are I'm a huge fan of that because I think a lot of people think they're eating the best diet for themselves and then it comes to find out that they're eating a lot of foods that are putting stress on their body and that their body is having 
to have an immune response to. The last thing you, like if you get sick, you want your immune system fighting the illness, not fighting the fact that you're eating dairy and your body doesn't like it. Mm. That's where, you know, you want it to be prioritizing. Mm -hmm. um, processed foods right now, it's really tempting in the whole stay at home to just kind of overindulge on chips and cookies and all the packaged foods that we have access to. But I would tell, you know, I will tell you that the grocery stores still have a lot of the fruits and vegetables in there in the fruit in the section you might not be able to find um flour white flour on your shelf but you will find all the beets that you can eat so i would tell you get out of the aisles get in the perimeter and um you know eat whole real food so remove but remove those food stressors like the processed foods for sure yeah well and we need those nutrients if we're going to deal with right what's going on right i mean um, I did the same thing. I stocked up on stuff that I don't know, necessarily normally have, but I, tr I definitely try to make the better uh, choice. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, there's organic versus not, and there's sure. certain things that we should eat and not, even with packaged food. I mean, there's yeah. still better choices to make. Right. Um, and, but um, at, at some point I was like, okay, even though I have my microgreen farm, although what was happening was I, I got to a point where I just didn't have enough fresh produce from my microgreen farm. So I was like, <laughs> I just have to go to the store and get something that's like I can that's a vegetable you know what I mean right I right can't sit here and just eat these packaged foods and think like I'm gonna feel okay yeah so yeah get, yeah so th those are kind of the big remove like remove those particular things um if you don't know if you have food sensitivities uh both I do you Dr. Jacqueline, do you run a food panel? Do you run a food sensitivity? Yeah, yeah. I don't test? do it too often because it's, again, it's just another test. <laughs> right. Um, but I'll do it. Uh, and what I've, I mean, I, I'll do some of the big, I'll, I'll just recommend off the bat, um, people cut out the gluten, the dairy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I find eggs sometimes, yeah. uh, something pretty common on that test as well. Mm -hmm. And I think there's soy. something else. Soy. Do they have, I don't know if they have soy on that panel I run out. I think about it. I use the Great Plains one. Do you use that one? Um, I use a different one. I use something called an MRT, which is a Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, because I don't remember seeing soy on there now. I think about it. it they might have it. It's been a while since yeah. I ran one. Yeah. Um, I, I mostly just try to get the main things out there. People tend to be sensitive to and then, mm -hmm. um, and then just also get the bugs out <laughs> that are causing them to really have big digestive challenges. And then... Sure. And then like down the road, you know, we can, I mean, unless they really want to do it up front, then I'm more than happy to give it to them, but it's an extra couple hundred dollars they're going to pay for right. that. So, right. so yeah. my, my prioritization is not usually there first, unless they are okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mostly run the food sensitivities if I know that I like we're dealing like their diet, they're already eating what I would call a pretty clean diet and have eliminated most of the big offenders. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, can be helpful, especially when picking out supplementation, because sometimes it's the small things that are in the supplements that mm. people are not thinking about, and then we supplement. And um, so, does it anyway, have herbs on it as well, too? It has chemicals, uh, so I get to see like um, now I'm totally blanking, but like uh, red food dye number four. I can see like food dyes. I can see. It's a pretty comprehensive. I like it because it has all a bunch yeah. of chemicals like solanine. So yeah. like maybe somebody doesn't have a sensitivity to tomatoes, but they do to all the nightshades and it will show up. 
Okay, okay. So that's good to know. I was going to say people should not be eating red dye. Yeah. But <laughs> things like that anyway, right? But some people still have it like in their uh, personal care products. Oh, like I see what you're saying. It, okay. But then they all like, be like brushing their teeth with, you know, a toothpaste that has red dye number four in it and they use it yeah. twice a day, you know, every day of their life. So for some people, that's kind of a game changer is the chemicals that they capture on that. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a pretty good test, 170 yeah. foods and chemicals. Well, and don't get me wrong. I think that if people can do these tests, then uh, mm -hmm. why not? I mean, it's, it's the more information that a practitioner can have up front too, it, the yeah. more that um, we can help the person. Um, but you know, a lot of people Cost. tend to need to kind yeah. of just need to do it along the way. And, sure. and there's nothing wrong with that too, because um, there's usually a lot of stuff that needs to happen yeah. <laughs> in the beginning, especially right. where you might not necessarily need to know that other piece of information. Yeah, I agree. Um, you I can agree. feel that other layer later too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so that's important to understand is that every person is bio individually unique and you, the approach that, and I'm, I'm sure this stands true for you as well. It's like when you get a client, you're looking at that person saying, what's the right order of steps for this person. And it may be totally different for the second person that walks through the door that day. And it's not like standard. I always do this. I always do this. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's really a personalized approach as to, you know, what, what's going to move this, move the needle for this person. Yeah, definitely. So some of the things I like to add in, in terms of food that people might not be thinking about that are supportive to creating digestive, good digestive health is fermented foods. And I'm not talking, and I like sauerkraut, but I'm not talking about the one that you get at the ballpark when you put it on your hamburger or hot dog. Um, I'm talking about fermented. It'll be, be in the refrigerated section of your grocery store. So that has good um, bacteria in it that helps seed um, your bacterial strains. Uh, prebiotics, which we talked about, fiber, that fiber-rich foods. So eating vegetables and even fruit, for that matter, that have... Um, fiber attached to them. Bone broth. I like bone broth for a lot of people. Uh, the only people I don't, wouldn't do bone broth with is people who have a histamine sensitivity because bone broth tends to be higher in histamines. Um, and then making sure that people are getting a lot of antioxidant type foods that are CE and A rich, like um, kiwi and kale, spinach, strawberries, turmeric. Those are all important. And then the last would be um, if you're not a big fish eater, to make sure that you're getting a quality source of omega-3s. I don't think that we get enough, unless you're someone who has fish a couple times a week, I don't feel like most people's diet get enough omega-3s. What do you think about that? Um, you know, I'm not completely sure that's a good question. And uh, what, what do you think about in terms of like, if someone doesn't, if someone's a vegan, let's just say that, do you think that they can do it with flax seeds and omega, I mean, and um, chia seeds and things like that? I think if their body, well, yes, but sometimes for me, my clientele, they sometimes will be digestively um, compromised. So like seeds tend to be a little bit harder to mm -hmm. actually break them down and then get access to the nutrient inside. Mm -hmm. So if they're, if they're, um, Vegan, I will use, there are some vegetarian sources where you can get it from like an algae. That's what I was thinking, algae oils. Yeah. There are some other, other like more um, plant-based sources of omegas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you also use probiotics with your clients as well too, right? 
Yeah, so I think probiotic is good. Um, the main, so your two big boy strains are the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium family. And those are the ones that you want to make sure are kind of super present when you're picking out like probiotics or, you know, choosing something. It, a lot of people get confused and they're like, more is better. I need to have like 200 billion or 500 billion. And I would say vary it. Don't just go right after the big gun right out of the gate. If you've never taken a probiotic, low and slow is better. Otherwise you're going to get die off and you're just going to have diarrhea. <laughs> That's a bummer. <laughs> Literally. Um, it's most, I mean, it's like that with most supplements. I mean, it's more sensitive, at least someone is the more that they're going to need to think, okay, you got to start small and then we yeah. work our way up and then we start yeah. going in with the machine gun approach. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you find a good one that has lactobacillus and bifidobacterium and they have, and it's between five and 10 billion to start, that's a great place to start. But you want to have that good bacteria in there because it really is important for your body to be able to extract nutrients, um, vitamins and minerals like zinc and iron and B12 are dependent on that bacterial profile. So getting, getting a good, if, if you're know that you're digestively compromised, getting a good quality probiotic is, is helpful for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So digestive enzymes, actually I should ask first, do you use those with your yes. clients? Okay. Yes. So do, there's a difference. The digestive enzymes, they break the food apart, right? They help yeah. to break them down. Mm -hmm. And then probiotics help you to absorb them. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. So they yeah. kind of go hand in hand. Um, they yes. both work with your digestion. Yeah. And there's a, a difference. Um, probiotics, they're not necessarily breaking your food down, right? No, they, no, they don't exactly work that way. It's more about... Um, getting access to the nutrients in the food after it's been digested and like populating. So each bacteria, they like make something. Our, the bacteria actually have like little jobs that they do. We're just like big bacteria bags. We're more bacteria than we are DNA. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think that both, it depends on like, not everyone needs a, a pancreatic enzyme or an enzyme. It just depends on if their upper part of their digestive system is more compromised and getting access, breaking that food down. So sometimes it's not necessary, but a lot of times if bacteria population is low, taking that probiotic can then help um, repopulate and get more um, diversity in the, in the gut. Okay. That's a good, that's a good point to, to make. So the you said the upper part of your digestive system are you talking about your stomach or your small intestine yeah so when the very beginning we were talking about the dominoes and we chew the food and swallow it and then it moves into that first part of the small intestine the mm -hmm. duodenum or duodenum yeah. going back to there so the pancreas sends over pancreatic enzymes but there are times and seasons where those pancreatic enzymes like this is a total made up number like it's supposed to send over 20 and for whatever reason you were stressed or you took us something and it didn't but not only sent over five and so your 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 pancreatic enzymes aren't as present so you're not actually break able to break down that food so if you take a supplement when that food gets to the first part of the small intestine it has the enzymes are there and it can break apart those foods the way that it's supposed to mm -hmm and break them down. So into the single molecule that it needs to be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's in the small intestine that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then the probiotic is more colon or large intestine. Okay. Okay. Where That's most of your, your, um, 
your microbiome lives. The largest there are some in the small intestine though, right? That's true. Okay. There, but it's a very specific amount and a very specific type of population. When we get a bacteria that's too much in the small intestine, then we experience something called SIBO. That's a whole mm -hmm. different podcast. <laughs> SIBO is small, <laughs> small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And that's where bacteria from the colon gets pushed back into the small intestine and creates a whole different issue. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a stool test, there's certain bacteria that you'll notice that will you, you know that it's a large intestine issue versus a small intestine issue yeah mm -hmm. yep okay yeah. and then and generally speaking microbes influence gene expression positively or negatively right right so we're genes are the what's that saying i'm totally blanking on it. it's like genes are the the gun and and our lifestyle choices are the what pulls the trigger so our mic our, we're all born with a certain set of genetic in our genome and those microbes will help influence like I'm going to turn that on that gene on or off I'm going to turn it on or off and so that's what what we're talking about when we say microbes influence gene expression is it will say if I have I'm more um, like I have a, a history or a genetic profile towards Alzheimer's well, if I have a poor diet and I'm eating high content, I have poor blood sugars and, and that's gonna influence those microbes and it could make it weak, I could become more susceptible to turning that Alzheimer gene on mm -hmm. versus like it's present, but it's turned off. Yeah, yeah, that was a big relief for me when I studied at Hippocrates Health Institute. Mm -hmm. um, my dad died of cancer when he was 38 and then my um, grandma on my mom's side died of cancer when she was 58. So I think in the back of my head, I, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm doomed to die of cancer. <laughs> right? And 38, you know, I'm 33, yeah. so that's not very far. You're like, oh no. <laughs> so I didn't have that revelation in my 20s that, uh, that when I was there, um, yeah. they, they had said, actually, before I had the revelation, they had said that only 3% of people um, with breast, breast cancer, it's inherited the rest of his diet and lifestyle right yeah so, you know yeah, that's the, the that's environment that's affecting us which i guess you could call that kind of in the lifestyle right right arena but yeah that's the beauty of like like i was saying at the very beginning of like he every single person if you have a heartbeat and a breath in your lungs you all we all have lungs we all have hearts we all have like a digestive system so the more that you take control of your health in these areas and and the and um, create an environment of healing for yourself, the better that body is going to perform for you. And you're going to keep those genes turned off versus saying, oh yeah, I'm, you know, drinking too much alcohol or eating too much sugar or, you know, and then all those switches kind of get flipped by the choices that we make. It's really the choices that influence that expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. We could talk about the environment a whole then a whole nother oh, podcast yeah. as well too, but <laughs> that's a whole different story in itself. Yeah, but there's it a lot. The point is, there's a lot that we can still do, and and I think that we need to focus on that um, because we can't necessarily uh, change everything the government's doing. Yeah, there's certain times where we need to stand up and fight for our rights, and get things out of the air that don't belong there, and <laughs> you know that. Yeah. But for the most part, there's still so many things that we can do every single day where we're either going down the path of life or going down the path of death. And we're all obviously going to die at some point, but you know, how much of a quality life do we want to have 
right now. And, you know, I, I don't want to be old and feeling like I can't take care of myself and even in young and feeling like I don't have enough brain function to be able to do my job. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we do have the opportunity to control. And it's really about taking the ownership back for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrea, this was fabulous talk. Yeah, thank I you. really enjoyed um, your wealth of knowledge with the digestive system and um, I, I love physiology and diving deep and understanding the, how everything, you know, I, I think that there's some people that were watching that probably um, got a kick out of that too, with all the little intricacies of how you <laughs> described everything. So thank you again for coming on the show. Um, do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you? Sure. I am on social media, um, both Instagram and Facebook, and you can find me under the handle Redeeming Nutrition. And then my, my website is just my name, so andreadalman.com. Okay, so Andrea, and then can you spell your last name? D-A-H-L-M-A-N. Andreadalman.com. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thanks again for coming to the show. You're and welcome. Thank, and thank you listeners, too, for always yeah. tuning in with us. Um, you know, you guys are such a blessing, and this is why we do this stuff. Um, you guys sure. give us. Uh, purpose and passion that we can live for and I, I just really appreciate you guys in that way as well so uh, maximum blessings to you and your family and we will return again next week I'm Dr. Jacqueline I'm here so you know my super immunity boost juice guide is now available on the wellnesstrinity.com you'll learn how to grow broccoli microgreens the ingredients I put in my green juice, and super nutritious supplements you can add to enhance your immune system. Again, go to thewellnesstrain.com and you'll receive your free Super Immunity Boost Juice Guide. Thank you for listening to the Wellness Trinity Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more wellness tips to help you achieve optimal health. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.